Okay, this week we have the privilege of reading Parshas Toldos, continuing our wonderful narrative and storyline that's been unfolding uh, in the beginning, or almost halfway through Parshas Bereshis now. So just to, to give a, a sense of context, so that, um, so that we can then examine the part that we're going to look at. In the beginning of the Parsha, of course, we have the story of, of Rivka's uh, infertility, her barrenness, the fact that she uh, desperately wants uh, children, and uh, Davins and encourages Yaakov to Davin. Yaakov does. Da- uh, I'm sorry, Yitzchak rather Davins, and they uh, they have a child. They she becomes pregnant rather with twins. And of course, there's the fascinating question that she's troubled by this activity she feels taking place in her womb. When she passes a house of uh, Torah study, she feels uh, activity desires to get out. She passes a house of idol worship. There's activity, and she goes to consult with the messenger of Hashem, who says, "Don't worry." It's two nations, two peoples that are in your womb and they're going to emerge two separate regimes. One will be mightier than the other. She receives this prophecy about the nations that are going to emerge and that's the significant we'll get back to in a moment. Of course, there's a question I've shared before on this that Kliyakar asks. He says, I don't understand. Rivka's bothered. She's walking next to a base medrash, next to a shul, next to a chesed program that's kicking to get out. She walks by a base of Odazara, she walks next to a house of idolatry, there's kicking to get out. She goes and she consults with God, and God says, Don't worry, there's two nations. One wants to get out and do good things, one wants to get out and do not good things. And how does Rivka respond? Okay, she's appeased, she's made happy. Ask the Kliyaka, why is she satisfied? Why is she happy? Why is she appeased to know that there's a nation that will emerge, that will seek idolatry, that will bring evil to the world? Why is she happy? So we're not going to look into that today. I encourage you to look at the Kliyakar's answer on your own. But it's a great answer. It's a great answer. Then we continue the birth of Yaakov and Esau. These two nations ultimately, these two individuals ultimately are born. The personalities emerge. We have, of course, the famous story, the birth, the sale of the birthright. Esau is a little bit older. He has the, uh, the seniority. Yaakov really wants to be the Bechor. Esau is hungry. Lentils are being cooked up in order to why lentils are being cooked for Yaakov for Yitzchak rather. Why does Yitzchak need lentils that day? Because he's mourning. He's mourning the loss of his father. Avram had died, so Yitzchak is mourning. Lentils are a food that are a symbol of mourning. And Esav is starving. He says, "I'll do anything to get a little bit of that food." I had a rebbe in yeshiva. You know, you'd come in really hungry and you'd say, "Give me that. Give me some of that red food." He'd say, what are you, Esav? That's how Esav talks. <laughs> Yaakov, the voice of Yaakov, the descendants of Yaakov, the progeny of Yaakov, we carry ourselves with dignity and with honor our approach to food. We're never so starving, we're never so, so hungry that we say, just give me some of that stuff. We have a different relationship with food, we have a different relationship with the physical world, with physical pleasure. Esav, of course, though, is a glutton. Esav is starving. Ace of hedonistic, and therefore he says, just give me some of that food, give me some of that stuff, that red stuff, I'm starving. And he's willing to sell, sell his birthright for it. Okay, we continue, a, a famine ensues, Yitzchak uh, goes to the plishtim, pulls the same move that his father pulled, she's my sister, similar results to the move that his father pulled. Then we have the fighting over the wells, Yitzchak redils, redigs the wells, he forms a covenant, and alliance with Avimelech, Ace of marries, and that brings us up to what I want to study today. Perichavav, chapter 26, Pasuk Lamedalad, verse 34. Chapter 26, verse 34, we are on page 132 in the Stone Chumash. Page 132 in the Stone Chumash. It says the Torah. is now 40 years old, and he takes a wife, and her name is... Yehudas, the daughter of Be'eri, and Basmas, the daughter of, of uh, Elon, Hachiti. Says Rashi, Ben Arba'im Shana, Esav's age is given, he's 40 years old. Esav Chazir. Esav is likened to a pig. And, and afterwards, by the way, Esav we associate as being what people descend from Esav? The Romans. Edom. And Edom we associate as being Rome. Now obviously that doesn't find its way back all the way to the Chumash because there were no Roman people, there were no people. So it's only later time. In fact, I once read a great scholarly essay that talks about when do we find within rabbinic literature Esav as being the symbol of Rome. And of course the Roman exile is the fourth and final of the four exiles, the exile that we continue to find ourselves in. Not only that, Esav 
Rome, Edom, is associated with what religion? With Christianity. So we find that in early rabbinic literature that Chazal, our rabbis, who were suffering persecution at the hands of the church, saw the church as an extension of Esav's philosophy, Esav's attitude, Esav's Soneus Yaakov, a philosophy that Esav hates Yaakov, that there's animosity and enmity, enmity and that there is a, a great sense of uh, tension. We don't find that all the way back to, to the Torah Shebech Sav, to our written Torah. It's in rabbinic tradition that Esav is the father of Edom, who is equated with Rome, which is equated with Christianity, and that sense of tension which, uh, which exists. So Esav is 40 years old. says, Rashi, Esav is likened to a pig. So Esav, why is Esav likened to a pig? What does a pig do? So in order to be a kosher animal, you have to have two signs, two symbols. To be a kosher animal, you have to have split hooves and chew your cud. The pig lies down in such a fashion, when the pig crouches, its legs, its hooves are extended. And what do you see about its hooves? It's split. So you're tempted to believe, what about the pig? If it has split hooves, it must chew its cud, it must be a kosher animal. But the truth is that the pig, of course, does not chew its cud, and the pig, of course, is not a kosher animal. It is a symbol of filth. So similarly, Esav and his descendants, they extend themselves to us as if they're kosher. We want to help, we want to support, we're a people of faith, we're a people of religion. What's the connection of Esav being likened to a pig and his being 40 years old when he gets married? Says Rashi, why was he 40 years old? Why wasn't he younger? No, because he was satisfied all these years. What he would do is he was seducing married women and sleeping with them. When he turns 40, finally he says to himself, my father was 40 when he got married, I should probably settle down and look for a wife. Why didn't he feel an urge? Why didn't he feel compelled to marry earlier? says, Rashi, because he was having affairs left and right. He was picking women up, one night stands. Why should he settle down? It was only when he reached the age that his father had settled down that he felt compelled to do so as well. Says the Rashbam, Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson, what's the significance of telling us Esav was 40. V'az ha-Yitzchak, Yitzchak ben Mea, when Esav was 40, how old was Yitzchak? A hundred. Ki ben shishem ha-ya baladez rivka osam. Because Yitzchak was 60 years old when he had the twins. Lo di'enu ba ma-shakasav acharav ha-yik hizakein Yitzchak ba-yikach isha es Yehudis. What's the next pasuk? The two psukim later, the beginning of the next part of the next parak. Va-yik hizakein Yitzchak. Yitzchak was old and... He was blind. A hundred years old, you struggle with your eyesight. Maybe it was cataracts, maybe it was macular degeneration. Who knows exactly what the condition was? Maybe cataracts, it was cloudy, the description of it being cloudy. But Yitzchak loses his eyesight. So, says the Rashbam, the significance of telling us Esav was 40 was so that we could calculate that Yitzchak is 100, which affirms what the Torah is about to tell us, namely, that Yitzchak was an older man. Says the Sforno, Yitzchak, when he turned 40, what happened? His father says, it's time to worry about marrying you off. It's time to register you on Saw You at Sinai. It's time to put you on J-Date. It's time to put you in Y-U Connects. It's time to get you married. Esav turns 40, and you don't see Yitzchak worrying about Yaakov and Esav finding wives. Instead, you see Esav on his own, Yitzchak, uh, you see Esav on his own is, is, uh, is married. And who does he marry? He took a woman named Yehudas Baz Be'eri Achiti. And you don't see who does who does Yehudas descend from? Achiti. She's a Chitite woman. Do you see Yitzchak objecting? Avram said, "Absolutely, over my dead body, can my little Yitzchakel marry a woman from Canaan? Marry a woman from uh, from here, from Canaan? You don't see Yitzchak worrying about where his son marries." So it's interesting, you see the Svarno, Ravavadya Svarno, has two critiques of, of Yitzchak. One is that he's not encouraging him to get married, and two is that he's not worried about who he's marrying. We find a number of commentaries critique Yitzchak 
there's a great critique of Yitzchak coming up. Why does Yitzchak bestow this affinity, this love for Esav? He bets on the wrong horse. Why does he favor Esav over Yaakov? But before you even get to that, you see the Svorno is critical of Yitzchak that he's not worried about his sons getting married, nor is he worried about who they marry. So on this uh, seemingly insignificant point that the text tells us that Esav was 40 years old, there's a number of significant things. Number one, Rashi tells us that the only thing that compelled him to get married was that his father got married at 40. Ah, why wasn't he compelled to get married otherwise? Because he was a womanizer scoundrel. He was going to clubs. He was sleeping around. He was stealing married women from their husbands. So he wasn't compelled. For Rashi, that's the significance. Hold on. For the Rashbam, what's the significance of telling us that Esav is 40? To let us know that Yitzchak, his father, who was 60 when they were born, is now 100. And that substantiates what the Torah is about to tell us, which is that Yitzchak is old and he is blind. For the Sfarno, the significance of telling us is to know, to note, that he had already achieved 40 and his father is not concerned with his getting married. And even when he chooses a wife for himself, his father doesn't interfere and say, how could you marry a woman from Chiti, from the Chitite women? So an ins- seemingly insignificant fact has significant relevance here. But continuing. Esav gets married, and they were a source of spiritual rebellion, we'll have to translate this in a moment, not simple, to Yitzchak and to Rivka. What does it mean, they? They, Esav and his wife, Yehudas, Basmas. So Esav and his wife... Um, No, he didn't take two. If you look at the Ibn Ezra, Basmas, he Eida, Bieshla Shne Shemos. She has two names. So they were Moras Ruach, they're bitter at Yitzchak and Rivka. How do you translate Moras Ruach? What is it that Esav and his wife caused some consternation, aggravation in the eyes of Yitzchak and Rivka? So Rashi says, What is Moras Ruach? Lashon Hamraas Ruach. That rebellion, the root of Maras Ruach is Mamrim, Ben Sorer Umora. What's a Ben Sorer Umora? Is a rebellious child. Mamrim Hayisem. And Moshe tells the Jewish people, you were rebellious against God. So Rashi is understanding Moras Ruach that Esav and his wife were causing something to Yitzchak and Rivka, what they were doing was rebelliousness. They were rebellious. And why was this a source of aggravation to Yitzchak and Rivka? Continues Rashi, Shayu Ovdos Because Esav was not embracing his father's values. Esav is an idol worshiper. Esav is worshiping idols. So, Maras Ruach is that Esav and his wife had a rebellious spirit, Le Yitzchak to Yitzchak and Rivka, they were rebelling against Yitzchak, Yitzchak and Rivka's values. That's Rashi. Says the Ibn Ezra, Maras Ruach, Kol Echad Mehem, each one of them, Vyesh Omer Miloshan Sorer Umora, Vyadati Shehu Migzeras Mara Kulaana, Ketam Mirirus Nefesh. So Ibn Ezra, maybe he's referencing Rashi, who says that Mara is from Moreh. Rebelliousness, says the Ibn Ezra. I don't think it means rebellious. I think the root is not from rebelliousness. I think the root is from Meriros Nefesh. What is Meriros Nefesh? Bitterness. Bitterness. The And this was written to tell us look what happened with Esau when he marries. It results in bitterness. Bitterness may be in the marriage, bitterness from the parents. So therefore, avoid intermarriage. Because it will result in it will result in bitterness. So the Ibn Ezra translates Maras Ruach not as rebelliousness, but rather as bitterness and acrimony. Yeah, maybe that's what the Sforna was bothered by. Why is Yitzchak not seeing Esav get married and say, okay, now it's time for my little Yaakov to settle down? Where is there... No, it could be because Yaakov is busy, busy learning. And there is a dispensation to get married if you're growing spiritually, if you're learning. But the text, at least, again, this is a text-based class, the text doesn't seem concerned. The Sforno is critical. The text doesn't seem concerned with getting either of them married. But even Esav's marriage doesn't prompt Yitzchak to say, it's time for Yaakov to settle down as well. Just hold the questions a little bit because people who listen online... So who said it was bitterness? 
the uh, Ibn, who said the Ibn Ezra said it was business. Unless it's something that you're asking me to clarify, hold the questions. Right. Right. Where does that come from? Vati, the word vatiyana itself. The, it could be. It could be. Right. I agree. Grammatically, it poses a problem. Good. Good sensitivity to the text. Vatiyana. Why is that word used? Okay. But that brings us up to Parak Zion, which is really what I want to study today. Chapter twenty-seven. Yitzchak achieved longevity and his eyes ceased to work. His eyes were no longer working. And what happened? He calls Esav his elder son. And he says to him, B'nai, my son! And he says, Hineni, here I am. Hineni, here I am. Says Rashi, Why is Yitzchak blind? What happened to him? He's a hundred years old. Is it cataracts? Macular degeneration? Old age? Says Rashi, You know why he was blind? He got so much smoke in his eyes that it left him blind. Whose smoke was going in his eyes? Idolaters. Who is living near him who is worshipping idols producing smoke? Asaph. So first of all, by the way, this explanation makes a lot of sense that the bitterness that that Yitzchak felt towards Esav and his wife is that he's blind because coming out of their tent all day long is smoke and it's made his mind. Now what's the problem? Rashi is going to continue Davarachah. Rashi is going to have a second interpretation. Why is Rashi not satisfied with that interpretation of why he's blind? Because other people should have been blind too. Excellent. Look at the Nun, the Sifsei Chachamim, the super commentary on Rashi. Because if smoke is bad for the eyes, but Rivka didn't have a problem. Why is Rivka not blind? Why is Yaakov not blind? Why is Esav not blind? They're younger. They're younger. But why is Rivka not blind? Alright, so Rashi is not satisfied that Yitzchak is blind because of the smoke, because that wouldn't explain why others are not blind. So Rashi gives a second interpretation. Because when Yitzchak was lying on the altar, and Avram was ready to slaughter him, and Avram raises the knife, and Yitzchak is lying there tied to the altar, his eyes were open, and you know what happened? The heavens opened, and the angels came, because they were so moved by Avram's unwavering fidelity and loyalty to the Almighty, and the angels were so moved that they cried. And the tears of the angels dripped into the open eyes of Yitzchak, and the eyes of Yitzchak absorbed the tears of the heavens, the tears of the angels, and they caused him to go blind. So he went from the very practical suggestion of smoke to the very mystical suggestion of the tears of the angels. I didn't know angels produced tears. What does that mean? Hold off, hold off. What does that mean? It's a good question. So Rashi is not satisfied with that second answer either. Second answer doesn't do it either. So Rashi gives a third answer. You know what the third answer is? God wanted this entire episode to unfold in which Yaakov presents himself as Esav. So in order to create a backdrop, in order to create a platform for this episode to unfold, he has to cause Yaakov to go blind. So three different answers. Rashi clearly is not satisfied with the first two and has to come upon the third. By the way, in the second interpretation, one could accept it more homiletically. It doesn't mean Yitzchak went blind, tears of the angels, but it means he was scarred by the experience. We don't have time now to develop a homiletical interpretation. But whether it's post-traumatic stress disorder or whether it means spiritually that Yitzchak somehow carries with him the knowledge that his father was ready to slaughter him, or whether it means that Yitzchak himself, you see, we often, inappropriately, incorrectly, we often picture Yitzchak as a little boy. You know, Avram takes this little child, puts him in his, in his uh, what's that thing called that I would never be caught dead in? The, the uh, I can't even, I don't even know what it's called because I wouldn't be caught dead in it. The front pack that some men wear. 
but they're baby and whatever the thing is called. So we sometimes picture Avram's walking to the Akedah and he's wearing his uh, little kangaroo pack with Yitzchak sitting in it. He's a little baby. He's got the pacifier in his mouth. But of course that's not true. How old is Yitzchak at the Akedah? 37 years old. Yitzchak's not a young man at all. According to some. So Yitzchak was a willing participant in the Akedah. He's the unsung hero of the Akedah. Avram goes down as the great hero. Sarah is the great casualty. But Yitzchak is the unspoken, unheralded hero, because at 37 years old, he is a, a full participant. So perhaps there's a homiletical suggestion here that Yitzchak was blinded. True, the experience moved him. But imagine, you lie there, you're ready to go to your death, and at the very last moment you're saved you're going to carry that with you. And how that later blinded him, what is the whole notion of vision, what's the notion of being blinded, how is it that that willingness blinded him later, you can give it a little work and you can create a beautiful homiletical interpretation. Just hold the questions unless they're... No, it's not a question. It's a question. Yeah, okay. I think uh, Yitzhak was blinded by love. Okay. Beautiful, another interpretation. So what does it mean? Blinded? It doesn't mean literally blinded. It means he's blinded by the love for his son. It's such an unconditional love. He's blinded by it. Okay, good? Good. Now, you may notice something else unusual in the Pasuk. So Yitzchak is older, the Pasuk tells us. Yitzchak is blind, the Pasuk tells us. And then what does Yitzchak do? He calls for Vayikra. It doesn't say Vayikra Esav. What does it say? Es Esav. What should it say? It should say Vayikra Esav. He called to Esav, or he called El. He called towards Esav. Why the word S? Right again, our class is a text-based class. We're trying to develop a sensitivity. So look at the Orachai Makadosh, or it could say Vayikra Agadol. It's interesting. It says he called Esav, who is his Beno Agadol. It could have said either he called Esav, or it could have said he called. He called his eldest son. Sometimes when I call my dad, he says, Hello, my eldest son. Right? I have a younger brother. He's two boys. So he could have said he called his eldest son. Or it could have said, Esav. Why both? And why is it S instead of L or L? So look at the or nothing. So look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. Very succinctly says the Orachayim. V'lo amar El Esav ki lo hayu ro'eyu lo eshimo. When you call towards someone, what does that imply? See. You see them. So when you see someone, you call them off in the distance. Hey, Yechavit, uh, come here. Hey, Rachel, Yatara, come here. You see them and you're calling them. That's if you call El towards them, it means you're seeing them, you're trying to draw them close. Yitzchak was blind. He didn't see Esav and he's calling him towards him. Rather, Vayikra S. Esav, he called out his name. So there's a difference between calling someone you see and calling out someone's name. Since Yitzhak was blind, he couldn't call someone he saw, so therefore the verse describes, S means he calls his name. He summons him. So he's summoning Esav. And why does he have to say, my eldest son? Says the Orachayim. One second, continues the Orachayim. Nisinastam lama lo Yaakov. Ki So, it's an explanation of why he didn't call Yaakov. Yitzhak is calling, he's going blind, he feels he's moving on in age, and he calls for Esav. Ah, why did he call Esav, not Yaakov? Therefore continues the text, Bino Hagadol. Because naturally he's calling for his Bechor, for his older son. So the Rechaim is obviously bothered by the, by the redundancy, Esav is Bino Hagadol. Why do you need to list it? So the Rechaim is explaining, the listing of it is an explanation of why he called Esav and not Yaakov. Continues the Orachayim. And maybe it's to tell us something else. That, you know, Esav and Yaakov didn't sit at the dinner table every night subsequent to the sale fighting about it. You know, pass me the chicken. I get it first. I'm the oldest son. You're not the oldest son. I bought being the oldest son from you. You didn't buy it. I'm not in it. Did Yitzchak know about it or he didn't know about it? Says the Orachayim. You see, from here, he didn't know about it. Because if he knew about it, he wouldn't be calling Esav Benoha Gadol. Because he would know that the status of being the senior brother was sold, was transferred to Yaakov. So maybe the Orachayim says, maybe the text 
is repetitive. It tells us Ace of Benagadol because the text is letting us in on knowing that Yitzhak never found out that the sale took place. He said, no, another reason. Maybe Yitzchak wanted to transform Esav. So he thought that if I treat him as the senior brother, and if I give him the bracha first, if I empower him, maybe that will turn him around. So what's the Orchayim bothered by? How can Yitzchak love Esav? You've got one kid who's a prince of a kid. One kid who could do no wrong. One kid who follows in your footsteps. And you got another kid who's a miserable, rebellious, bitter, difficult, killer, murderer, unethical, hedonistic. And that's the one you love? Again, this is the underlying elephant. This is the elephant in the room for this entire parsha. How in the world could Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, the the one who was part of the Akedah, the progeny of Avraham and the the one who's going to pass on the chain. How could this holy Yitzchak, who can't leave the land of Israel because he is so holy, he doesn't see that Esav's not the, the link in the chain? So the Orachayim says he didn't want to see. He wanted to see Esav, he wanted to see his ability to turn his kid around. Right? It's true for many of us. We never are willing to see our child as having the problem. We always believe in our child, sometimes to a fault, that we always think that we can succeed in turning the kid around, even to a fault. And is critical, our rabbis are critical of Yaakov because he didn't believe that he could turn him around. So you see there's a notion of, of being able to uh, sometimes turn around. So, uh, yes. I see. I'm not. I'm not being so successful in holding off the questions. We got no, no, no. It's my fault. We got all, only because the people who are listening to it can't hear those who are asking questions, and they feel lost. So at the end, we'll we'll turn it off and, and hold off the question. It's a good question, but hold off. Hold off the questions. Pasuk days. So what is now Yitzchak has summoned his son Esav, his elder son, and he says to him something. What does he tell him? Hinei in case you can't notice for yourself, little Esav, I'm getting old. Lo yadati yom mosi. I don't know the day I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die. Says Rashi, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha, Imagia Adam leparik avosav, Yidag chameshanam lefneim. A person doesn't know, a good way to measure when you're reaching the end of your life is to measure yourself against, and it's natural, you can't help but measure against the lifespan of your parents. Five years before their death, and five years after their death, one should ask themselves, what would I do differently if I've reached my time? When Yitzchak was 123, Amar, he said, Shema lefarik imi ani magia, I'm coming to the age of my mother. How old was Sarah when she died? 127. So when Yitzchak gets to 123, five years earlier, he says to himself, four years earlier, yeah, it's really four years earlier, so why did Rashi say five? I guess it depends how the birthdays fall out. Could be into the fifth year. Five years earlier, Will I live to my father's lifespan? Will I live to my mother's lifespan? But it's a time to ask oneself to measure their life and to see what you would do differently, and to give a ethical will to one's children. So that's what inspired Yitzchak at this point to reach out to Esav and to give him a blessing. So what does he tell him? Pasuk Gimel. And now, and now I want you to take your gear, your sword, your bow, and I want you to go out to the field. Go out to the field. And I want you to hunt for me, capture for me an animal. Tzudali, what unusual word is there in this Pasuk? Again, if you're sensitive to the text. What? Li. What's the word Li doing here? What does Yitzchak say to Esav? And I want you to capture for me an animal. Why does he have to say that? Why doesn't he just say Vitzad Li Vitzad Sayed? And hunt for an animal. Why Li? So Rashi is clearly bothered by that. 
And what does Rashi say? Min hafker gezel. I want you to go out into the forest and hunt an animal that doesn't it's ownerless. But don't go into someone else's backyard, someone else's field, and capture a delicious steak. Well, Yitzchak, of course, is a very moral individual, and he's fearful that Ace of his son is going to. Now, by the way, this Rashi to me is very significant because what does it tell you that maybe Yitzchak does know Esav's personality a little bit would Yitzchak have to tell Yaakov hunt for me don't steal the animal no I'm pretty confident that Yitzchak would know that Yaakov wouldn't steal an animal the fact that Yitzchak feels compelled to warn Esav when you're going to get this animal so I can give you a blessing don't steal the animal take it from Hefker make it an ownerless animal why does he feel compelled to warn Esav because maybe Yitzchak has a little insight into who Esav is and therefore needs to give him this uh, needs to give him this warning okay Make for me treats, you know, the way I like it. And I'll eat it. So that I can bless you before I die. Vasuli Matamim says the Svarno. Why is Esav, why is Yitzchak giving Esav this task? Right? Even before we get to what happens now, Yitzchak says, I want to give you a bracha. I'm old, I'm going to die. I'm within five years of when my mother died. I'm blind. The time has come. It's come for me to tell you about my life. It's come for me to give you a blessing for your life. So what do I need to do before I give you the blessing? I want you to go out and pick up a great steak for me. Turn on the barbecue. I need you to make me a really nice piece of rib steak. I'd like it to be rare. Maybe some fried onions on top of it. Some french fries on the side. Hook me up with a great dinner and then I can give you a blessing. What? Hook me up with a great dinner. I've achieved longevity. I'm old in age. I need to give you a spiritual blessing to bless you to be my spiritual offspring, to carry on our tradition and legacy. <laughs> but before I can, let's have a kiddush. What's going on? Why is that the charge? So look at the Svarno. At the beginning, the reason the loved He loves Esav because Esav's a good hunter. But why should, the, why should he need Esav to hunt as, as a prerequisite for being able to give him blessing? So says the Sforno, He didn't really care at all about the steak, the fries, or the grilled onions. You know what he wanted? He wanted Esav to engage in an act of honor and respect. He wanted Esav to have an opportunity to do a virtuous deed. And only through that could he create a, a clay kibul, a vessel, to be able to attach the blessing to. See, blessing doesn't attach itself to nothing. Blessing attaches itself to virtue, to nobility, to mitzvos, to chesed, to proper behavior. You can't give someone a blessing who's undeserving. You can't give someone a blessing who hasn't earned. So what Yitzchak is doing in charging Esav, hey, go hunt for me, and this is exactly how I like my steak, and it's delicious, and you know what I like, it's not because Yitzchak all of a sudden has a big appetite. And it's not because Yitzchak all of a sudden craves good food. And it's not because Yitzchak becomes a physical being. Yitzchak is a, the embodiment of spirituality. He's the carbon. He's the living sacrifice. So why is he asking Esav to do it? Because if he's going to give him a blessing, he has to first... Uh, Allow Esav to do a good deed. What's the good deed? Fulfill the word of his father. So what else does that tell you? This is similar to the insight we just shared about Rashi. What does this Sforna say? If Yitzchak was calling Yaakov to give him a bracha, would he have to first give him an assignment of a good deed? No, because where would Yaakov likely be coming from? The base Medrash. Shul, learning, growing, doing, davening. What does it mean? What does it tell us about Yitzchak's knowledge of Esav that he says to Esav, I want to give you a bracha, but before I can, you got to do a mitzvah. And since you're likely not going to go finish Shas, go employ your strength, go hunt an animal and make me a barbecue. What does it tell us about Yitzchak's feelings for Esav? That even though Yitzchak maybe doesn't know just how, how profoundly evil Esav is, he still recognizes that Esav is not likely engaged in virtuous activity. 
ולכך כשברך יעקב אחר כך, שידע בו שהוא ראוי לברכו, לא שאל מהטעמים, ולא ביקש דבר, וברכו תקף, בו אמרו, וכל שדו יברך אותך. And how do you know this is this far? Because keep reading. When Yitzhak blesses who he thinks is Yaakov, does he say, first go hunt for me? No. Because he's confident Yaakov is filled with nobility that will be a proper vessel to receive bracha. He didn't know it was Yaakov, but when in the role reversal, when he thinks it's Esav, he says, go do a mitzvah first. When he thinks it's Yaakov, he's ready to give him the bracha right away. Why? Because you need to first become a vessel of nobility. Yaakov already is. Esav needs to become. So that's the Sforno. Sforno is answering our basic question, which is, Yaakov gets, Yitzchak gets his appetite before he can give a bracha, he needs to have a big meal. Why is Yitzchak giving this assignment to Esav? Says the Sforno, he's providing a mitzvah opportunity. That's why he's doing it. That's why he's doing it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold the question. I'm sorry. Says Rabbeinu Bachya, or Bachaye, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. Rabbeinu Bachya, one of the great Spanish commentaries in medieval times. So Rabbeinu Bachya, you don't have it in your Mikros Gedolos. But he also was bothered by the same question. And here's what he says. Ein kavanas Yitzchak b'she'elas ha-matamim b'ta'anuk ha-guf v'achush v'achush ha-tam. Why does he ask him to do it? Not because he craves a good meal. Because Yitzchak is not a hedonistic physical uh, being. So why does he want to do it? Because he wants to be besimcha. A bracha can only be bestowed in a context, in an environment of joy. What is the source of joy? Where does a person, when does a person feel serenity? When does a person feel peace? Which is the prerequisite for joy. When a person feels physically healthy. So Rabbeinu Bachi is great insight. When you're uncomfortable, when, you're, when you have discomfort, when you're in pain, when you're tired, when you're exhausted, it's very hard to be besimcha. It's very hard to be with joy. It's very hard to experience tranquility. But when your physical being feels satiated, when you feel like I have a good amount of sleep, and I just exercise, and I'm eating right, and everything feels good, and I feel physically satisfied, now you're in a good mood. Now you're predisposed towards simcha, and therefore you're in a proper mindset to give a bracha. So because you're physically feeling uplifted, you'll feel spiritually uplifted. And when you'll feel spiritually uplifted, you'll be able to be a conduit the Gemara in Shabbos Daf Lamed says, the Shechina can only be Shora. One can only feel spirituality, whether it's real prophecy or whether it's spirituality, not from laziness and not from sadness, but only from Simcha. The Pasuk says, in Malachi, that only when there is there it's proper, it's joyous song, and the hand of Hashem was upon him. You can only feel, I don't want to say prophecy, but spiritually uplifted, spiritual insight, when you feel physically uplifted. Again, if you're exhausted, and you're in pain, and you're uncomfortable, and you're, then you're not going to feel spiritual. Spirituality is enhanced and promoted, and almost predicated on physical well-being. So therefore, So therefore, we always find an association between joy and blessing and physically being satiated. So why did Yitzchak request physical um, delicacies to put him in the proper mood to bestow blessing? Why didn't he ask, go bring a harp, go get a group of musicians, play some wonderful classical music, it will lift my spirits? Because the blessing wasn't for music, the blessing was for physical uh, physical prosperity. What's the blessing? From the dew of the heavens and the fat of the earth. 
It's all for wine and oil and wheat. It's a blessing of physical prosperity. Since the blessing was going to be physical prosperity, let, let us first experience physical prosperity and only in that context feel uplifted. And that's why the, I don't want to read the rest of the Rabbeinu Bachri, especially since you don't have it in front of you. But the, he's explaining. What do we find when we make a siyam? When we finish an area of Torah study, what do we do? Food. Delicious food. When you're having a fabrengen, what do you do? Delicious food. A lachayim. A lachayim. We find a high corollary, we find a high association between spiritual advancement and growth in a context of physically being satiated and satisfied. It's when the, when the body is satisfied, now the soul can thrive. The soul is not weighed down, distracted, or feel attention with the cravings of the body. When you satisfy the body, now the soul is able to thrive because it's not weighed down or distracted by the body. And that says, Rabbeinu Bachi is what's going on here. Unlike the Svarno, it has nothing to do with providing a mitzvah opportunity for Esav. You know why Yitzchak says, make me a good meal and then I can give you a bracha? Because after a good meal, oh, now you feel satiated, full, satisfied. Now your spirit is high. Now you could sing a niggin. Now you could give a bracha. In the context of a good meal, you know, you don't find on a fast day the, the best brachas being given. When do you see a person wanting to give a great bracha? Purim. What happens on Purim? Everyone's giving brachas to one another. A good meal, episode l'chaim, and all of a sudden everybody's giving brachas. Shem should bless you with nachas from your children. Eh? When do you find brachas? Go to a Shalom Zachar. Beautiful brachas are being given. There's good food and candy and dessert. L'chaim. So when the body is satisfied, then the soul is a greater conduit. The soul feels greater uh, potential to be able to give the bracha. And says Rabbeinu Bachya, that's what's going on here. I knew that was his... Uh, was a hunter and he gave him a task that he knew he could fulfill. So he gave him a task that he would be, he would be good at. Okay? So that answers the question of why is Yitzchak all of a sudden craving food before he can give a bracha? That's also true. Oh, excellent point. We eat, we're satisfied, and then uveirachta. And by the way, that's the one bracha which is midaraisa. That is the one bracha which we're biblically mandated in. The one bracha we're biblically mandated in is benching. So you see that real prayer, real blessing to God comes when? If I'm, it doesn't say veachalta uveirachta. If I eat and I'm not satisfied, do I, make, do I bench? I bench, but it's only midarabanan. Do you know that? If you eat a meal, there's some restaurants you walk out of and they have to roll you out. They have to take you out in a wheelbarrow. You, are, you overrate like it's crazy. And then have you ever eaten in certain restaurants where afterwards you say, where should we go to eat? Yeah. <laughs> right? Usually those are the restaurants where you paid a lot more. And there's very little on the plate. And it's organized in some fancy way. And you look at that credit card bill and you walk out and you say, what do we have to eat at home? So at the end of both meals, if you had bread, you have to bench. But one of those benchings is Daraisa, one is Darabanan. Because when you're satisfied, it's a biblical benching. And if you're not satisfied, rabbinically we bench anyway, but you're not biblically obligated to bench. Because literally the biblical mandate to bench is predicated on feeling satisfied, is predicated on being visavata, on feeling full. So, it's a great point George is making. George Sachs, for those listening at home. It's a great point. That v'achalta v'savata uveirachta, it's only v'achalta v'savata. If you eat, it doesn't say v'achalta uveirachta. Only v'savata. Because bracha comes from v'savata. When you're full, when you're satiated, when you're satisfied, that's when, that's why it's good. If you have to have a difficult conversation with someone and you want them to be in the proper mindset, feed them first. Eat a little something, feel physically satisfied, and then you'll be able to have a good conversation. Now there's a positive energy to be able to give bracha. Okay, let's continue a little bit longer. Pasuk, hey. V'rivka shoma'as b'daber Yitzchak al Esav b'no. Rivka hears while Yitzchak's talking to Esav, his son. Interesting, isn't it? Esav also happens to be her son. But it doesn't say Rivka hears Yitzchak talking to their son or her son. It says Yitzchak hears Yitzchak talking to his son. Maybe that's telling of some of the tension that's going on here. And they each love another one. Vayelach Esav hasadeh, Esav leaves 
in order to go hunt to bring it to his father. By the way, what extra word is there? Right, should just say Vayilech Esav Hasadel Esav goes to fulfill the command of his father to hunt. He says Esav goes to, to hunt in order to bring. What do you mean to bring? Obviously that's why he went to hunt. That's what his father asked him to do. Who was bothered by this question? If we're bothered by it, there's an excellent chance Rashi was. Look at Rashi. Lahavi, ma'u lahavi. What do you mean to bring? That's obvious. No, im lo yim yavi min Esav, despite Yitzhak saying, li, bring it from me, bring it from some ownerless place, make it legal, Esav was prepared that if he can't find it, he's going to steal it. Lahavi, he's going to bring it no matter what, because that's Esav's lack of morality, that he's going to bring it no matter what. Pasuk Vav. Rivka Amra Yaakov Tell me this is not a coincidence. So Rivka turns to Yaakov, not their son, her son. So she overhears Yitzchak talking to Esav, his son. She turns to Yaakov, her son. Not so healthy what's going on here. And what does she say to him? I overheard your father. By the way, not my husband. I overheard your father speaking to Esav, your brother, saying, Bring me your score and I'm going to eat it. So I can bless you before God before I die. She repeats almost verbatim. And now, my son, my son, I overheard your father saying to your brother, but now my son, listen to me. What I'm going to command you. Go and take me these beautiful animals. And we'll make them wonderful lunch, dinner, like your father loves. I'm getting hungry. Bring it to your father, he'll eat. So that he can bless you before he dies. So, keeps hanging here, before he dies. But you have here, fascinating, that Rivka keeps referencing my son, my son, your father, Esav is your father's son, over and over again. Now again, the basic question in this whole Parsha, which we're not going to get into because this is not a, a drush class, it's a text-based class, but the question is, I think the two elephants in the room are, number one, how, do, how does Yitzchak get it wrong? How does he bet on the wrong horse? Why is Yitzchak favoring Esav? And what's the second question that you can't help but be bothered by is, what's Rivka doing manipulating lies? How is she taking her pure little Yaakov and encouraging him to lie? But it's not a question that's reserved only for this storyline. You could find no less than 20 situations of lying in Sefer Bracious. The entire book of Bracious is riddled with lies. The snake and Chava and Chava talking to Adam. And you just, you just go down the list, literally, it's lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. The entire Sefer Bracious is characterized by lies. What's going on? So here with Yaakov in particular, one could suggest as has been suggested by many, that each of our avos had a character trait that they were born with. They were predisposed with a, a certain virtue. Avram is chesed, Yitzchak is gvura, and Yaakov is emes. Titein emes Yaakov, chesed Avraham. So they were born already inclined towards that attribute. How did God know that they were really living in that way for Him? Maybe they were living that way because that's how they were predisposed to live. How does God ever know that they're living that way for Him? So you know what the answer is? If they're willing to violate what they're predisposed towards. If they're willing to violate and to go against their natural inclination, then God knows it really all, even that which they're naturally inclined to do, is for God. So Avram, who's Midu's character trait, is chesed, is kindness. How will God know? that all that kindness is really a manifestation and fulfillment of his love of God. Maybe it's because Avram loves kindness. There are people who are born loving kindness. How will God know that the kindness is really a manifestation of loving God? Only one way. By asking Avram to do something that is utterly unkind. 
What does he ask him to do? The Akeda. Yaakov lives his life with Emes. Yaakov has an unwavering, incredible, steadfast fidelity to truth. Yaakov cannot lie no matter what. Emes Le Yaakov. He's characterized by truth. How does God know? Maybe Yaakov is just born always being a goody two-shoes telling the truth. How will God know that that goodness, that honesty, is really a fulfillment of a commitment to God? You know how God will know? By asking Yaakov to lie. And if Yaakov can also lie for the sake of God, then all the lies and the honesty really are a manifestation of loving God. So that's one direction. Again, there are many others. We don't have time to develop this. But one direction you could take it in is that whether it's Avram, whether it's Yaakov, they go entirely against their nature in order to prove that even that which they do, which is consistent with their nature, is really all about Hashem. So Rivka creates, designs this entire manipulation in which Yaakov is going to come in and not tell the truth. Um, There was much more to talk about here where Rivka takes over and does that. We don't have time. We're going to stop here, but I'll tell you this you'll notice that all four of the senses are employed. Yitzchak, when he tests to see who this is in front of him, he says, I want to taste the food and see if it's the food that Esav makes. Come here. I want to feel your hand and see if you feel like Esav. Come closer, let me kiss you. I want to smell and see if you smell like my son Esav. And say something, let me hear. Now, all four out of the four senses, three of them, Yaakov does a good job. It's the food tastes like Esav's food. And his hand feels like Esav's hand. And the smell smells like Esav's cologne. But the voice, Now Yitzchak should have known that out of the four senses, which is the one that reveals, which is the most revealing of the truth? It's the voice. The other three can easily be distorted, faked. But Yitzchak, while he hesitates and he says, Oh, something's wrong. He doesn't stop. He should have stopped and known something's wrong. He didn't. So there's a lot to be said about this. Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has an essay about this concept, the four senses and why the coal. And we find this coal repeating itself throughout Jewish history. Kol de mama daka. We hear the kol de mama, the faint silence of God. Kol dodi do fake. Kol mevaka, the Rachel. You have the 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 um, you have a kol gadol v'lo yasaf. Harsina is described as the great kol. This kol of Yaakov, which he couldn't distort, which he couldn't successfully. Um, hide, we find repeating throughout Jewish history. Very fascinating. But we'll stop here and please God, uh, we'll continue with it next year. Lunch and Learn begins in 15 minutes.